Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hey everybody, welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. I'm Tristan Johnson, and I'm here tonight with my co-host, Alex Mazinski, who's like kind of falling apart here. Uh, how are you, Dan? I'm great. How are you? Stellar. And our guest tonight is Jason Neal, who comes from FIMS, as you told me. So let's get, uh, let's start with like, what's the, what's, um, what does FIMS stand for? Well, there you go. Yeah. The Faculty of Information and Media Studies. And there are, there's a lot, they're very representative in like a lot of extracurricular activities here at Western. So they're a very active department. Yeah. Yeah. It consists of uh, media studies journalism, and my program, which is library and information science. Yeah, and so like, let's drill down into what it is you do. So, Jason, I think you could say in better words than I could, what, what, what is your research about? Okay, so I'm interested in the ways that so-called avid recreational music listeners conceptualize musical similarity. And uh, thinking about what similarity means... Uh, when we talk about musical similarity, it seems as though we think about it in terms of genre typically. Because if you go to the library, you'll see music organized pretty much by genre, at least as the top level form of organization. If you go to music stores, pretty much the same thing. If you go to a library catalog and look at the subject headings, you know, what it is that a work is about, music is typically categorized by subject heading. Uh, if you use a, recommenda a recommendation system, like on Amazon or YouTube or something else, it's more or less based on genre. But what's interesting about recommender systems is that they do not directly operate on the basis of genre. Rather, they operate on the basis of what are known as collaborative filtering algorithms. And what they do is they look at either similar users and make recommendations on the basis of what users who are similar to you uh, might purchase or listen to or view. As well, item-to-item -item or item-to-item -item collaborative filtering algorithms look at items that are similar. And so like if you buy, say, a recording of classical music, you're very likely going to get other classical music recommendations. So, so I guess the first question would be then, sure. what's the problem with that? Why well, Is there something insufficient about the way that we do genre? Oh, well, from a personal perspective, I would say yes. Uh, but there are also other people who say more or less similar. Uh, so speaking about my own personal background, just, speaking about my own personal background. Just stop, stop for a second. <laughs> I, I, I well, we made a sign, and this just happened. <laughs> oh, custodians. Let me check that the sign is on. Yeah, what is the thing like, do not enter. All right, so, what, so what's the problem with that? Why is genre uh, an insufficient categorization? Well, I'll talk about from a personal perspective first, and then tell a little bit about what I read in the literature. All right. Um, I grew up being kind of the weird kid in my school because I listened mainly to classical music 
It's what my mother played. Uh, it's, it reminded me of the music that I heard in movie soundtracks. And it just really appealed to me, probably because of those two reasons. Uh, everyone else, so to speak, listened to popular music. And this, was, this, this is actually within the context of a small rural town in the United States, because I'm actually from the U.S., and so it was kind of hard to find others who shared similar musical tastes. Uh, when people would see me walking down the street uh, with my Walkman, which tells you a little, tells a little bit how old I am. Uh, so I'm walking down the street with my Walkman, and people say, "Hey Neil, what are you listening to?" And I'll tell them classical music, and they'll say, "They'll say things like, why are you listening to that? Who wants to listen to that old stuff?'" So. I kind of thought, well, maybe I, I, I felt like I was the last person who listened to classical music in the world, that like the legacy of classical music would die out with me as soon as I died. And, uh, but I, of course, you know, being an adolescent, you're kind of the center of your own world. And so uh, over time, what's interesting is that I actually met people when I was at university who are into classical music as well, but they also liked popular music. And uh, talked about, like, they would talk about how, yeah, you know, I listened to Mozart and I listened to Metallica. And, and they weren't sure exactly why that was the case. And uh, what's interesting is that over time, I started finding popular music that I liked. And the popular music that I liked tended to share similarities with the classical music that I liked, even though uh, I couldn't really put my finger on it. And so over the years, I found more and more popular music uh, that I liked, that reminded me of the classical music I liked. And so it kind of got me to thinking, well, is it that I like classical music, or is it, is it that I like certain traits in any kind of music? Uh, because even though I consider myself a classical music fan, it's because I'm really keen on certain composers. <laughs> and, and I think the reason why I say I'm a classical music fan is because it's relatively rare compared to listening to popular music. So, uh, so I got to thinking, well, you know, what is it that makes me like certain classical music and certain popular music? And the same for other people that I talk to who like, say, uh, Monteverdi and U2, for example. You know, why, why is that the case? I'm in a similar boat, actually. So I went to uh -huh. a high school for the performing arts, and I was in the senior chamber orchestra. But I was also in a rock band. And... Mm -hmm. I still listen to anything and everything, whatever I want. I will listen to 90s gangster rap or hip-hop or classic rock mm. or classical music or indie rock or new rock. Any, like, whatever music floats my boat at the moment is what I listen to. Um, and there's nice things about all of it. Um, so, again, my question for you, at the very beginning you mentioned you're looking specifically at what you consider to be an avid music listener. Mm -hmm. and how these algorithms are sort of panning out. Mm -hmm. What is an avid music listener? Oh, well... How do you define that? Yeah, actually, it's avid recreational music listener. That's true. Okay, yeah. so I'm not like a professional music right. musician, I guess, or a music listener who's picking soundtracks for movies. Or something like that. Yeah, well, actually, I should talk a little bit about recreational because it doesn't necessarily mean that... Okay. that sorry? I'm just saying, unpaid, I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah see, because that introduced yeah. an element of ambiguity in selecting uh, the, the people that I interviewed. 
Uh, and I had to talk with a couple of people to figure out, well, you know, are you a recreational musical music listener who also does performance? And so I, I thought that the best way to narrow it down was to say, well, if people are trained in music, uh, like they went to, like they entered a music program at university and majored in music, or they do music as a profession, uh, they were excluded from the study. But if someone plays in a band, kind of informally or something like that, then they would be included. Yeah. Or uh, recreational also, I, I kind of fudged a little bit with the terminology too. Uh, it also included people who listen to music while doing other activities. And in fact, there were a few people who it sounded like that was the case, but they still wanted to participate in the study in any case. So that kind of influences the definition of what an avid recreational music listener is. Avid, of course, means that people listen to music a lot. They love music. Uh, but then the question is, well, what does that actually mean? And so I'm trying to piece together from the individual respondents uh, what exactly Avid is. Is it, a, is it on the basis of how much time someone listens to music or the role that music plays in their lives, which is more qualitative? And what specifically, sir, how, how are you going about doing this? You're interviewing them. It's a very personal thing for you. You're very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. um, so how, how are you going about doing this and what kind of questions are you asking them? What, um, yeah, how are you, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so I've actually completed data collection. Uh, that started in December of last year and finished in September. Okay. And I interviewed 20 people from the London area. Uh, they had to be age 18 and over and also, of course, consider themselves avid recreational music listeners. We met at a variety of venues, places on campus, cafes, a few people I visited their homes. And uh, I asked them questions like what kinds of music they like, uh, what kinds of music they dislike, which interestingly was the fifth question. In. But what's funny is that some people in answering the first question started to answer the fifth question, hmm. telling uh, what kinds of music they disliked. Yeah, I, I see there in uh, something that I was thinking about when I was like a teenager where it seems like uh -huh. music, uh, especially when it comes to genre, is also a large part of people's self-identity. Mm -hmm. Like country isn't just country, it's like its identity to some people. Mm -hmm. uh, rap, for example, is a representation of a certain like political movement, it's a racial identity. It's like, there's a lot of stuff going on beneath, and it's a, and, and largely attached to music. It's a large like social thing. So, have you have you do you read a bit about that or? Yeah, I've I've read quite a bit about it, and I've also had people talk about their identity in relation to music. So, uh, and what was interesting was that country would come up multiple times. And people would distinguish uh, the kind of country they liked from the kinds of country they disliked. Like they'd say, well, I like older country, uh, but I don't like the newer stuff uh, because the newer stuff is, uh, you know, like highly 
jingoistic, reactionary, that sort of thing. And they, they reported that as kind of a distinction from the older country, which sounded more authentic to their ears. Okay. So, so what you're what you study, like uh, library information science is basically like the study in art, art, the sciences of categorization, organization, things like that. Right. So then when it comes to organizing music, what what's out there for alternatives to genre? Uh, any number of things. Uh, well, there are some traits for starters that uh, could be looked at as possible alternatives to genre as mode of categorization. Now, of course, this requires looking at the different factors that go into the creation of music. And this is kind of an area where music psychology, as well as library and information science, can converge. Uh, because in library and information science, there's a fellow named Stephen Downey, and he actually graduated from my doctoral program over 15 years ago. And uh, he identified musical traits that could be used for what's called music information retrieval. And so he identified such things as pitch or note, as it's more common, uh, harmonics, uh, tempo, other sorts of things. What's interesting as well is that in the music psychology literature, they also talk about those kinds of traits. They might use slightly different terminology, but those kinds of traits could be taken into account in figuring out, well, what is it that people actually like about music? Like, what is it about, say, a melodic sequence? Might a particular melodic sequence somehow manifest itself uh, in a classical piece and then in a popular piece, whether or not it's intentional? Either way, that's very interesting. So those are a few factors. And then in terms of practical tools, you can also look at the audio content uh, to see if there are similarities in the kinds, of, the, the kinds of ways that they're represented within certain systems. And then, of course, you can also use tags. So in other words, the crowdsourced way of categorizing music. And that could be done in any number of ways. What's interesting is that genre tends to be a commonly used label, but it isn't used as much as other kinds of tags. And in particular, some of the major ones relate to particular occasions, as well as particular moods or emotions. Yeah, so, so just for those out there, tagging is like uh, where on a file, this can only really be done in a digital format, where like you attach words to the files metadata and these can be either these can be added by anybody and they can be kind of voted up voted down and made uh more or less relevant am i right. correct on that one? right and it depends on the system mm -hmm. like there are varying degrees of freedom in terms of uh what users can do with tags uh sometimes systems will enable users to just slap a tag on there and that's it sometimes systems will allow users to vote on tags, uh, whether or not they are considered relevant overall to whatever piece of music. So in your research, you're differentiating sort of the classical, uh, not classical, I guess classic, I shouldn't say classical because <laughs> that is a genre, the classic right. genre system from uh, the current algorithms that are used, right? Um, that's my understanding. 
so far. But how how does asking so what types of music do you like is like your question one. Mm-hmm. How are you getting at that? Um, because saying like oh I like country music is still classifying it the same way that you would in a modern library or you know in a HMV when you're going to buy a CD. So how how are you getting at the really the nitty gritty of how these algorithms are affecting people's music choices, how they're affecting them? Well, what's interesting is that, yeah, when people talk about the kinds of music they like or dislike, it's almost always spoken of in terms of genre. Uh, But what I do ask at the very end of the interview and what occasionally comes up just naturally uh, is people talking about similarities that they find in different kinds of music, and in particular in kinds of music that you wouldn't think share similarities. So I kind of go in and, you know, ask people about notions of similarity, and I don't really use the word genre myself in the questions until the very end. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, and it's a very deliberate strategy on my part, uh, because if I ask people what genres of music do you like, you know, they, they're already conditioned um, yeah. to think in terms of genre. But when I ask what kinds of music do you like, it leaves it open. They might talk in terms of genre, or they might talk about other musical traits. So they might list, like, specific groups instead. So they mean, I like Led Zeppelin and U2 and Papa yeah. Bell and Green Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're really, you're really like labeling yourself right now. Machiavelli <laughs> <laughs> um, and Green Day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, have you seen? So there is a, it's a really old internet video, um, and it's it's a guy's stand-up routine, and it's called the Pachelbel Rant. I that? think I've seen that. It's been. A I while. love that video. So he's talking about how much he hates Pachelbel's <laughs> canon and D, right? And he's he's on stage with a guitar, and he's playing all these different songs from different mm-hmm. genres that all follow the same chord progression. Mm-hmm. And he's just pointing out how it's all just Pachelbel and canon coming back to get him. But like maybe that's something that you're that that you are seeing here because people might love Pachelbel's Canon, mm-hmm. but also Green Day's Basket Case because those mm-hmm. two songs are the they're the same thing really. Green Day, you're not original. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, no one's original. I think no. that's the first thing you learn about <laughs> yeah. Being, yeah, about music. Yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. thing. That's the thing. Like uh, with yeah, yeah, because if you think about. Pachelbel's canon and Green Day and how there might be similarities, you know, that that's one way of looking at it. And that's exactly what I'm focusing on. Mm-hmm. Another interesting too, another interesting that I thing that I've thought about too is complementary musical tastes. Ooh. And I haven't really done anything in relation to that. Uh, but as I mentioned, I think it was before the interview actually, uh, I tend to enjoy late 19th century German Romantic composers. So in other words, the kinds of things that influence uh, soundtracks, like you hear uh, John Williams compose or something like that. But I also like ambient kinds of music. So things like Brian Eno, uh, Philip Glass, things like that. And so there might be some interesting reasons why I might have complementary musical tastes. Does it tie in with the contrast or does it tie in with the similarities? So are you more interested in studying then classification or like recommendations for like stronger recommendation engines in the future? It's a bit of both because that's studying classification systems, at least from a critical perspective, 
I think is helpful to figuring out how to develop better recommendation systems, at least from a systems perspective. But what's also important and also interesting that people have brought up is uh, the kinds of recommendations that people get from other people. So like friends, relatives, that sort of thing. All right. So then maybe you can solve a problem for me and it'll be really interesting to like. So there's two right now music streaming services in Canada, Mm -hmm. Spotify and Apple Music. Mm. And the big thing about the two of them is that their discovery feature, their way of recommending you new music Mm. is fundamentally different. When you sign up for Spotify uh, and you start adding music to a collection, it remembers what songs you, you add and what you like. And it makes a two-hour playlist every week called Discover Weekly. And it's two hours of music. And it actually like goes off and finds some interesting things that you like. And it's all based on a machine learning algorithm. You know, you like things and then it uh, can kind of figure things out that way. Apple Music decided that human curated lists are the best way to do it. And so when you first start off, they give you uh, some artists, like a, a handful of like leading artists in different areas. You can click to say you like them, you don't like them. Uh, you can say like, you know, you really like them. And then they, after that, they then give you a list of genres and you could do the same thing. And it bases all of it's like, it bases then a whole bunch of like Curia playlists for you on that. So given the data that you have gathered over uh, your research, which one of those do you think is going to find me better new music? Hmm. <laughs> I think the, curated list would be more likely to since it strikes me as more personalized in a sense. Uh, But I've also wondered if such kinds of lists could make effective recommendations in particular across genres because like thinking back to uh, Amazon recommendations, like I've made purchases and written reviews on and I've gotten recommendations for the respective recordings. And, uh, but it's, it's always not really been a surprise. Like for instance, I wrote a review of The Doors' first album. And uh, because I did that, I got recommendations for The Doors. I've also written reviews of stuff by Wagner. And uh, I've gotten recommendations for you know, Wagner and other German romantics. But what would really be interesting would be to see what kinds of recommendations I could get that somehow figure out what are the connections between the doors and Wagner? So what would that be? That could be some extra musical stuff. So in other words, the non-musical features, uh, both of them, for instance, uh, well, Jim Morrison and Wagner, uh, had ties to Nietzsche, for example, Wagner was friends with Nietzsche. Jim Morrison was, uh, into reading Nietzsche, uh, both appeared in Apocalypse Now, Ride of the Valkyries by Wagner and The End by The Doors. So those are just some other possible examples as well. Not only the musical traits, but also extra musical ones. Did you see Apocalypse Now when you were very young? And yeah, I think I, I saw it on television with the commercial breaks. So I guess it'd be kind of the censored version. But yeah, I was I was blown away. I'm a Coppola fan anyhow. So okay. yeah. So I imagine you're still a bit away from walking. Like I imagine the point of the dissertation is to find like the best way or the, 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 a a better practice for classification. Uh, Are you getting any hints as to like, what are some leading theories or hypotheses? I should say actually, but um, 
Yeah, well, in my literature review, I talk a bit about the ways in which genres tend to evolve and how, you know, like when you go to a music store, when you hear the histories of particular genres, you get this mythology. And probably the, the most ubiquitous mythology is the rock and roll mythology. That all of a sudden, 60 years ago, Elvis exploded on the stage and we had rock and roll. But of course, the story behind that is really complicated, and especially if you listen to other musical trends from around that time. That sounds very much like the history of white rock and roll. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, and there are, of course, those kinds of aspects, too, like the racial aspects of uh, these histories as well, which kind of erase the contributions of, of uh, others who were actually involved in the process but weren't as recognized as the certain big names like Elvis. All right, so if somebody were to uh, walk away with one important fact or one important observation from your research, what would they want? What would you say to them? I would say that we can conceptualize musical similarity, whether in terms of musical traits or extra musical traits, in any number of ways. And actually, I have some uh, results here uh, from my data analysis. And really, there's a wide variety of ways that people mention uh, observations of musical similarity. Like one of the major ones is instruments, uh, you know, the kinds of instruments used in particular pieces of music. And of course, any instrument can be used in practically any genre, even though some instruments are more closely associated with certain genres than others. Uh, some talk about uh, some of those musical traits that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the, the tune uh, or the melody of a piece. Uh, and it might not even be the whole piece. It might be part of a piece that kind of reminds them of a part of another piece. So there you add another layer to the whole idea of, you know, what is it that people like about a particular piece of music? Uh, they might look at things like the chord structure. Uh, they might look at some personally important concepts. And one in particular that I found rather interesting was the notion of excellence. Like they look for music where there is excellence. Uh, in other words, the performers perform a piece, the composer composes a piece, and it's done well. And so that could encompass a whole host of possible musical and extra-musical factors. So I guess one thing that just occurred to me, mm -hmm. why don't people necessarily like completely different genres as we'll call them but like a lot of what happened in the early 90s with with rap when it was coming up was they were sampling tracks uh, beats melodies everything from classic rock so famous songs from the 70s and 80s were being sampled put on loops and then people were taking out the lyrics and then rapping over it why don't people necessarily who like classic rock love early 90s rap, even though they, they might like that, you know, one song by Aerosmith when Aerosmith played it, but when Run DMC did it, um, Walk This Way, they may not like it so much, even though Aerosmith was even in it. I would suspect it'd have to do with the genre-based connections, mm -hmm. or, or the genre-based, not connections, expectations. Uh -huh. So if someone listens to classic rock and they hear their beloved song sampled in a rap song, 
they might think, oh my God, what have they done here? You know, so their expectations are thwarted. And of course, <laughs> genre, you know, our conceptualizations of genre are this whole huge mass of you know, sociocultural influences and however our brains operate and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but what's interesting about rap, too, is just thinking about how it ties in with uh, classical music to varying degrees. Uh, and in particular, thinking about uh, practices of electronic composition in the 1950s in Germany. Well, in particular in Germany, anyway. Uh, composers like Karl Heinz Stockhausen, uh, who, uh, who influenced uh, German uh, popular music. Well, which is kind of a weird way of putting it. Uh, so groups like uh, Tangerine Dream, for instance, uh, that had kind of an ambient sound that was influenced by electronic composers, who, of course, also influenced people like Brian Eno, David Bowie, you could say even U2. And then some of these German, uh, German groups influenced rap. And in particular, there's, I'm trying to remember... Oh, it was a song by Kraftwerk uh, that was actually sampled in a song, uh, a rap song from the early 80s. I believe it was African, Africana Bombata. And uh, so it's kind of interesting to think about all these really intricate strands of genre-based connections that are easily erased, you could say, or easily obscured because we want to have these convenient modes of genre-based categorization and we you know we're, we don't want to think too much I suppose about the ways in which genres and particular pieces of music emerge it's like break that cage yeah all right well Jason thank you so much for coming out oh, coming to thank us. you for your time that's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Gradcast, the best podcast this side of the University of Graduate Students. <laughs> oh, man, that was bad. Okay, I'll do that again. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I... Podcasting. All right. <laughs>